Hi, and welcome to the Efficient Frontiers International podcast. And once again, it's my pleasure to be joined by my two colleagues, Jane Newton and Joe Ricketts. Tell me a little bit about the work you've actually done together in the past. So mine and Joe's paths first crossed a few years ago when Joe was working for another management consultancy company and I was working for a law firm. We collaborated on a few client proposals. So imagine my surprise when I went to help a global bank's tax team, a subject matter expert on FATCA 0S. And there was Joe also working on that program. Well, that must have been a really nice surprise to come back together again. I've heard for some people on this podcast how the challenges they face with compliance technology projects isn't really about the installation or the budget, but it had a lot to do with skepticism. So, you know, concern that it's going to be a fast fix, but it ends up missing or omitting the really critical aspects of the regulatory requirement. Does that sentiment resonate with you, Jane? So it does, Sam. The key to success is communication and getting budget holders and senior colleagues at the outset to appreciate all of the risks and ensuring that the solution design, build and delivery results in compliance with the relevant regulations. So what I found is if the subject matter expertise builds an effective and communicative relationship within a program, especially the technology teams, it helps to mitigate that risk of building a red house and what's needed actually to comply is a blue bungalow. Now, Joe, on our previous podcast, we talked about your financial services experience and some of the projects you've worked on. But in terms of those previous projects, what were some of the challenges you saw when it comes to the compliance elements involved? So I, I do really believe, Sam, that we shouldn't need to walk a really thin line between keeping close to compliance requirements and delivering tech in the way that we want to deliver it. Echoing what Jane has said, I do think if you have the right engagement early enough, you can not necessarily keep everyone happy as compromise is always necessary, but you can definitely have open and honest dialogue all the way through the process. And you can be as open to change and pivot as is necessary within reason. Avoiding sort of panic, you know, urgent conflicts, urgent conversations, fire drills. I think there's often a view that, that regulatory colleagues feel maybe, oh, you know, here we go again, there's another project, another tech team that won't listen to us or appreciate what we have to say. And whether that is or isn't true, our job as good deliverers of software is to make sure that everyone has a seat at the table, that we don't end up with that sort of compliance people in their ivory tower situation, which is almost always a product of lack of communication and failure to bring on board and get the buy-in of the right people up front. And I've, I've really seen this a lot. I think gain confidence and trust, even respect if you can, by showing your work as early as often as you can. It's quite as simple as that. I think this really does apply also to operational colleagues. I think the challenge that Jane mentioned, the red house versus the blue bungalow, that's just all too common in waterfall projects where the needs of the team who really do the doing change over the time that it takes to deliver the project. You know, talking about, listening to, importantly, the needs of the users in the real life scenarios and the real application of processes, taking away that that drive that often we have to tick a box, to have documented requirements, to have met a stage gate. Taking that away and talking about these things all the way through the delivery process is really, really key. Jane, at a very high level, just describe for me how you organise this project. So I think it really helps that Joe and I worked together previously and we, we know each other very well. So she and I have worked closely to ensure that we've designed and built what our client needs. 
At each stage, we've ensured that the requirements are communicated clearly to the developers and robust testing undertaken to ensure that what is delivered is what was actually specified in the requirements. We've also had to develop control and governance frameworks to ensure that on a timely basis, we can also keep the technology up to date with the regulations. What about you, Joe? You know, we worked really closely together on other tax reporting projects and we knew that the key to successful delivery of those particular tax returns was good data. Let's talk about data. It's a topic that's come up many times during the Captivated Audience podcast. The key to good data is at the point of capture and ensuring that the parameters for data entry are really honed to focus on exactly what you want to gather and exactly what you don't want. Unlike purchasing data from a reliable provider, you're having to rely on customers to enter this data for you. So how did you consider the way in which you were going to tackle that? We knew that we needed to consider efficiency, control, accuracy without leading our users. And when I put it like that, I realized that actually it was, it was quite a big task. It's important to never underestimate how hard it is to format address data. But in all seriousness, no matter how prepared for data challenges we thought we were, there were ones we didn't expect. And in hindsight, the process of data migration that we've just been through was definitely more complex than I think we originally thought. And we've definitely learned lessons as to how we'd be tackling the preparation of that data next time. Okay, we've got the data out of the way. What were the next steps you took, Joe, in getting the project going? We stood up the team and the project really quickly. We depended on very agile software development methodologies to allow us to move the project forward so quickly. We've also worked with a partner, a financial institution that has helped us build out our real life use cases, which has been really fundamental to getting good workflow and and good user experience. I think that no matter how real life your user story discussions are, it really is only when you start to move through the application as an end user with all of those features pieced together that you realize things that may seem small but are really imperative to the user journey. Talk to me a bit about managing expectations, because surely when you're building a new type of compliance reg tech, you're not going to get it right the first time around. What we've developed here is a a relatively simple process in itself, but the forms are complex and can have multiple user routes through them. So at first glance, creating a seamless user experience seemed really easy. But of course, when we started to delve into them, we realized that's not the case. And here our partner and their real life use cases really supported this process of refinement that we've been through. So tell me about some of the lessons you've learned so far during the development process. One thing I think that's really interesting for me to work on a very agile project is to understand that the vision that you have up front doesn't necessarily require hours and hours of detailed scoping sessions and that the product itself evolves through the process. So uh, a personal lesson learned for me is definitely to trust that process, to expect there to be shifts and pivots is actually, I think that's really the right thing to be doing. I'd say that the one challenge of working with a partner that we did face is that, of course, there were timelines and limitations that were dictated by them. And again, you know, we've learned some really valuable lessons around making some difficult decisions when we've had to and, and not delaying those decisions. Give us a bit more detail about the tax reg tech that you've been working on. The EFIW series tool really helps to streamline the collection of data from customers for the purposes of FATCA but also the application of the relevant U.S. withholding tax rate on U.S. income. 
We've really focused on a couple of key things to do that. We've created a set of validations that prompt the user to fill in the parts of the form that are necessary depending on his or her circumstances. We know that tax ops teams receive countless forms where people have misunderstood instructions, possibly completed sections that they didn't need to. The W Series tool doesn't allow this to happen. It only presents the sections to the user on the interface that they must complete. So in doing this, we've increased dramatically the amount of forms that are received correctly the first time. We know that this is usually a really iterative process between tax ops team and, and end customer. What does the coded wording, a really iterative process, mean in plain terms? So it means that the customer fills in the form, they get it wrong. The tax ops person sends it back and says, you've got it wrong, but I can't tell you what's wrong because I can't give tax advice. And so the person fills it in again and gets probably another bit wrong and then it goes back and then another bit wrong. And so that's what I mean by an iterative process. I suppose what you're trying to avoid is the unintended consequence of frustration being created because the staff member can't give tax advice. So the customer doesn't misunderstand that to mean I don't want to help you. I guess partly the frustration, but more just the end goal is to get it right. And I think some of the things that I've seen are that people will fill in sections, it will go to the tax ops team, they'll come back and say, you filled in the wrong bit. And then, then, you know, rather than go back through the instructions, they think, oh, well, maybe I didn't need to fill in section four, so I'll fill in section five instead. Or, you know, and it's almost like a bit of a lottery. All right. So let's talk a little bit more then about what you've actually built. We've also added plenty of validation that we've defined alongside our tax experts to make sure that we don't allow certain data points to be completed incorrectly. This really reduces the amount of time required for an ops team person to review completed forms and actually just removes reliance on a large number of manual checks. So the experience is quicker, more robust, and has greater control for the tax ops teams at our client. But also, it's a really simple, almost impossible to get wrong, end customer user experience. And all of this, of course, um, culminates in data that's shared with tax authorities that is of much greater quality. One of the operational challenges that came out in relation to large databases, such as those of Companies House, was the risk of duplicate records. In particular, duplicate records where there are variation in information provided about the same address. How did you take that into account building this technology? Well, the address example is a beautiful example of that. So what the tool actually does is it integrates with the client system. So at the point of authenticating a user, it will also pass some additional information into the W Series tool about that client. So it will come from the client's books and records. So it will be things like the way then that their full name is spelt, the way their address is held. So what the tool does is if Sam, you had put Mrs. Sam Sheen, but the books and records system at our client said Mrs. Samantha Sheen, you would of course have a, a name mismatch, but really it's just a different way or a shortening of your name. So that then comes into an exception queue and it's up to the client and their operations teams to decide whether they will allow that form to pass with a shortening of the name. So Jane, what's the challenge here with the completion of the tax form? For normal AML compliance, it would be perfectly fine for the first line to contact the second line and ask for advice if the documentation they were seeking wasn't available, say, in the jurisdiction where a customer operated, or they could add additional explanation onto the risk profile of the customer explaining unique documentation. Why is it that frontline staff are discouraged from assisting the customers in completing these tax forms? 
So the problem is that basically only a customer knows where their tax resident or if they're a US person because a financial institution doesn't have the whole picture. And it's really important because this documentation could be used in court to prosecute customers. And so it's really important that this evidence, we're not effectively leading the customers down the wrong path of telling us that they're tax resident somewhere when actually they're not tax resident there at all. They're tax resident in another jurisdiction. I know some people who go, oh, well, I won't fill in that form because I might live in Europe, but I'll end up being taxed by the Americans if I do that. That's not the purpose of the W-8 form, is it? That's not quite right with the W series form because the W series form is used for two purposes. It's to collect the information for FATCA, which we refer to in the regulations as Chapter 4. But the form is also used for the purposes of some regulations that we refer to as Chapter 3, which is enabling customers to make best use of the treaty withholding tax rates that are available in relation to US income and assets. The FATCA information is just part of this W series form. But in that wider world of CRS, where we're not just looking for reportable Americans, the use of these forms is to collect the information to determine where they're tax resident for the purposes of CRS reporting and whether they're a reportable US person for the purposes of FATCA reporting. Because remember, this information is collected, validated, and then reported to the tax authorities as appropriate so that the tax authorities themselves can do this information exchange. So Jane, am I understanding this correctly? The collection of data from the customer is really key here. But I think the important point regarding this technology is it's enabling the customers to fully complete the form because there are two elements to completing forms. It's one, is it fully completed? And then do we have any reason to doubt it? Okay, I'm not sure I quite understand that. Can you give me an example? So for instance, an American citizen who is US reportable thinks, well, I don't want to be detected, so I'll fill in a W-8 series form instead of a W-9. What happens when that information is received by the financial institution is they have to check that they have no reason to doubt it. So in that instance, if a US citizen completed the wrong form, so a W-8 series form, but the institution held a passport that said that the person was born in the US, that gives them reason to doubt the form that the customers provided. So an operational process has to be undertaken to verify that with the customer because the customer could have renounced their citizenship. So what sort of verification information would you be looking for? To support that W-8 form, what would be required then was a copy of the Certificate of Loss of Nationality. So it's not just collecting information and taking the information as read and correct. There are complicated obligations to make sure that the receiver of that form, so the financial institution, has no reason to doubt it. We had a very funny discussion the other day over this new acronym that's entered my world, the TIN, which in fact means a tax identification number. Am I understanding you correctly that having the TIN and comparing it to the additional KYC data you're receiving from the customer can actually help to spot any inconsistencies? So, for instance, if the client tells us that they are tax resident in France, 
but the tin that they put in is a UK tin, we can pick that up in the validation process. So we know that's not quite right. So we're enabling customers to give us the information and try and do it in a way that's simple so that we get it right first time in terms of the collection. So Joe and Jane, you know we've done podcasts in the past where we talk about the amendments to the UK's money laundering regulations and the addition of subsection ZB, which now causes an existing KYC review to be triggered subject to certain tax requirements. And of course, the information that your RegTech will be collecting from customers may provide just such a trigger. How do you see your tech helping to assist in complying with that new requirement? The tool itself becomes the golden source of the form data, and it is definitely a one-stop shop for collecting that information. And absolutely, because obviously it's possible to integrate technology with other technologies, I think bringing sets of data together to give a complete view of a client is, is absolutely possible with this. I think painting the, the picture, the, the total view that you talk about, Sam, in the easiest possible, most efficient and most accurate way is what we're all trying to get to. So Jane, one last word from you. This sounds like a really super initiative. ZB now combines AML and tax KYC. So why didn't you folks approach the development of this technology by taking on the bigger challenge of that combined exercise? Basically, what we had was a client who had an urgent problem. So we didn't want to eat the whole sandwich. We wanted to take a bite of the sandwich and do well for them what they needed us to do. But also having that view and vision of the future where we could take the basic elements of what we delivered for one client and better meets the combined requirement from a tax and an AML KYC perspective. Yes, that's absolutely right. And the technology that we use to build this product absolutely facilitates that. So please watch this space. Well, I think, Jane, on that note, we will leave the ending dangling, so to speak. If you'd like more information about EFI, check them out on their website at efilimited.com. If you'd like to discuss any due diligence, monitoring, or investigation work, or even find out more about their upcoming taxation technology, feel free to reach out to either Lizette Smith-Cullen or Russell Taylor, whose contact details can also be found on LinkedIn.